Hello, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, hockey. We're getting in there. Uh, if you haven't heard by now, we have our, our the 24-7 site, michigan.247sports.com, Wolverine 24-7. However you knew it, has merged with Scouts, the Michigan Insider. Uh, very exciting stuff. We now have more coverage than probably anybody that covers Michigan. And I don't mean that to to necessarily brag or be biased. I think it's just an objective thing. We are we should be your one-stop shop, and this is the audio version of that. So we go once a week. If you're new, uh, we, we answer reader questions. We post them on our board uh, over, over on michigan.247sports.com or the michiganinsider.com. And we take questions. We have other topics that we do. We break down uh, the week that was in Michigan sports and the week that will be in Michigan sports. No basketball today. Didn't get a lot of reader questions. They're playing North Florida. Probably not the most pressing thing. Hockey, I think we're still trying to find out what exactly we want to do with the hockey coverage. But lots of football talk this week because Michigan, after losing to Penn State, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, season, the season is over. And now... Uh, I don't think Michigan has much of a shot at any any of its goals, but it can still turn the season into a successful one. So we'll get to a lot of discussions about the run game, quarterbacks, uh, this weekend's game against Maryland, the offensive line. All that's coming up. Uh, but first, we like to warm up with, with an off-topic question. Uh, shout out to Via Azul 97 on our board, who gives us one just about every week. And Isaiah Hole is on the line. No Steve today. He's got a he's got a family thing that needs to be taken care of. Uh, but he'll be back next week. Anyway, Isaiah, Via, we you know all three of us are Michigan alums, and Via wants to know most overrated and most underrated Ann Arbor eatery or bar. I have to think about it a little bit more. Do you have one ready? I do. All right. What do you got? Uh, uh, for my most underrated, I'll start with that. Uh, I I was a big fan of, and granted, I haven't been there in forever because I don't drink anymore, as uh, any of our regular listeners know, due to my uh, allergy or alcohol intolerance that ke- creeped up a couple years ago. Uh, but the place that I really that I went a lot when I was uh, in college, and usually make it you know make a stop by at every you know like once a year, is Babs Underground Lounge. That's over. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember area. you were telling us about Babs, and none of us knew what you were talking about. <laughs> it's it's really cool. I mean, they like it. it it's kind of like a. It, it's not really swanky, but it kind of has that feel in a way. It's not like Melange, which is definitely swanky. But I mean, it, it's it doesn't. They have a sign now. When I first started going there, they didn't have a sign, so you just had to know to walk in this office building and go downstairs. So it kind of had almost like a speakeasy type feel to it, hmm. but it's you know they they have you know a bunch of pool tables. They've got a, a private room which I used for my birthday several years ago. Uh, they, I think I don't know that they still offer cigars. I didn't smoke back then. I smoke cigars now. Uh, it would have been good to know more recently, <laughs> but hmm. uh, it's just a it's just a really cool vibe place. Uh, it gets a little hectic on weekends. The last few times I'd been there, like it becomes a complete S show. Uh, like real, just kind of crazy. Eventually, you know, like on Fridays and Saturdays, especially on uh, game weekends. But it's generally a really cool, chill place. It's uh, it's pretty dark. Uh, have, they have a lot of cool paintings and stuff that they that they you can buy from like local artists and things of that nature. 
But uh, that's that's been a place where anytime I've any, ever brought anyone there, they've been like, whoa, this place is sweet. How did we not know about it? Like, well, it's semi-hidden, and but it's it's always packed usually when I go in there. Uh, so that's obviously a bar. I'm going to go with a, a restaurant for my most overrated, and this is guaranteed to get me a lot of hate. <laughs> I don't particularly care, at least not as much as a lot of people do. Not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying I don't care for Mr. Spots nearly to the degree that everyone seems to love it. Ooh. Angelique is going to come in, bring the hammer down on you. I know. Yesterday she was talking <laughs> about how how she required some Mr. Spots. Didn't she call Twitter. it heaven on earth on Twitter? <laughs> it's it, it's a, And you know what? I actually haven't ever had it inside the restaurant, so maybe if I customize things it might be a little bit different. I usually have had it when it's been catered and brought either mm-hmm. to a Michigan availability or elsewhere. I've yeah. had it a good 20 plus times. I've, I've always just thought it was all right. I never really was like, Oh man, yes, we have this. It was kind of like, eh, you know, at the Michigan availability when they used to feed us, uh, I always preferred when we would get uh pizza house over spot. Okay. Personally. But uh, I just think it's all right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's all right. Well, Isaiah, I'll start with my overrated because I think I'm also going to get heat. I'm going to go bold here. I'm going to say that entire block of restaurants. Uh, Just going down the line, you know, Pizza Bob's. I'm still bitter. One time I went at 9 p.m. on on like a Thursday night or something to get milkshakes. And they they close at 10. But they had decided to close early. And I like knocked and and said, hey, can I come in? It It says it doesn't close until 10. They flicked me off. So not thrilled with them. Also, I mean, they, you know, the milkshakes are are good, but I think a lot of people act like they're like the only place you can get good milkshakes in Ann Arbor, which is patently false. Uh, spots, right. spots I like. I like spots. Uh, it's just like the the whole rest of the block, you know, Quickie Burger, BTB. Uh, am I, I feel like I'm missing one. Um, but anyway, oh, BTB is where, where you kind of lose me because that's my favorite. Except for I have to say. I, considering the way I got treated last time I went there, and I go, used to go, I would go there usually about once a week. They uh, they told me I didn't order what I ordered when I've ordered literally the same thing for ten plus years. And how did they how did they respond? Were they nice about it? No. Were they, were, did no. they accommodate you? Did they offer you any sort of customer service? Nope. They made me. They charged me more, even though I I know that <laughs> I paid the same amount. They were like, you didn't order it with guac or bacon. I'm like, I've ordered it the exact same way. Yeah. Like it rolls off the tongue like to the point where when you know like as you as you know I was a film student uh, and one of our like off like out of class student films that we made we even I even threw my order into the script as kind of <laughs> like a like homage to it yeah and they told me I ordered it wrong. so sorry I digress but that's well no but I'd like say... that's the thing is I go there and it's like it's it you know they, none of them seem to put in an effort to making me happy. And and the food is is fine, but you know now that I have a car and parking spot at my apartment and like you know I'm 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 not as much in like the student housing I'm more in like the adult housing. Uh, it's just like you know if I want to get a good burrito, there's a lot of different places I can go. If I want to get a good milkshake, I've got other options. So and, and the thing is like I remember when uh, uh, was it Bell's Pizza closed down for Domino's. And, like, I got in this big fight with Scott Bell and uh, a couple other people on Twitter. But, like, me and Michael Propey were like, Bell's Pizza was terrible. Everyone's it just... It was terrible. Yeah. It was, it was, 
yeah, that like, block. It, it I feel like getting backdoor. Yeah, I feel like that block gets such a such an overhyped reputation as like the trendy college spots. Like I'll take the stuff on Southview every day of the week. Speaking of Southview, my underrated, and it's probably dumb to call it underrated, but I had not eaten there very much in my in my years in Ann Arbor. Uh, but I'm going to give a shout out to Brown Jug. And I know that's Steve's most overrated place, but I have, I've had, I've now had the nachos, uh, the burger. I can't remember which one, the, the Buffalo wings, uh, some other, some other food. I think it's, it's actually really good. And, and this is coming from someone who did not think of the place as a restaurant first. I thought of it as, you know, a place where you can do karaoke and trivia. And so I'm, I'm a fan, even though the place across the street, uh, Charlie's is probably my favorite place to to go in in and not necessarily for a restaurant, but just for a for a nice time is is Charlie's. So, whew, uh, we'll see what kind of heat we get for for calling out the South State Street block. But I've lived over in that area uh, much of my college tenure, and and I think I think it's overhyped. So yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> anyway, getting to football. It, so we got some questions. Offensive line, pass game, run game, the whole deal. Let's start with the O-line. Strider Blue 11 says, A lot has been written about how Michigan has good interior lineman depth, but not at tackle. What traits are important for tackles compared to guards, and why can't they just move more interior linemen outside like they did with Cole? And I know there's probably some football heads that are face-palming or, or shaking their head, but this is actually kind of... I think it's a question that maybe doesn't get addressed a ton because we were talking before the show. I mean, neither of us have coached on the offensive line or, or our scouts, but it, it, it does seem like you'd think, you know, you look at them and it's like, Oh, such and such is 330 pounds and can block anybody. Why can't he do it one position or the other? And the thing that I liken it to, I was going to say it's kind of like water polo positions, uh, but I don't think enough people understand what I'm talking about. So it's kind of like basketball, and think of like all of the linemen as like that six, seven, two hundred and fifteen pound player. It's like, yeah, technically you could probably play them at every position, but there are certain skills associated with each one, where it's like, you know, a tackle you want longer arms, you maybe want to be able to stop in a, a speedier edge rusher, whereas on the interior you want to be very sturdy and be able to contain a, a defensive and nose tackle. And you also want to be able to get a push uh, here and there. So I'll let you chime in in a moment, but I think they do have a couple guys that can move. I mean, Ben Bredesen was a tackle throughout all of high school. He, he was on JV his first game, and then he was the starting left tackle the rest of the way. And I think he won a couple state titles. I think he's on a pretty good team over at Arrowhead. And you know, we saw Runyon at times has has competed for at least a job at at um, at tackle, and you know, there's there's some other guys I think they could they could move out there. I think too that you don't want to just because they are so NFL prototypical, if that makes sense. Like they look like they could translate into an NFL caliber player. Caesar Ruiz and Michael and Wainu. I don't think you want to move those guys out uh in the slightest uh but i wouldn't be surprised and maybe maybe michigan sees it differently but bredesen he you know if if between Philly Aga stuber and and grant newsome 
because I think you and I are in agreement. Grant Newsom is one of the most awesome people on the team, one of the coolest people we know. Uh, but there are some question, there are some things he has to prove uh, in regards to coming back from a literally life-threatening injury in, in a year and a half to two years off the game before he's, you know, you're starting left tackle again. So I wouldn't be surprised if things are slower than they expected. If Michigan explored moving Bredesen and Runyon and, you know, you, you keep trying Ulysio and Bushel Beatty on the outside, knowing that you have interior linemen that, that you're pretty comfortable with. Because moving forward, I think the interior is going to be good. Uh, it's just a matter of, I mean, I know... I know Drevno and Fry kind of <laughs> draw ire from fans for saying we want the best five guys out there. Um, but I think there is something. Not everybody can move around, but Michigan tries to recruit at least one a class guys that could play inside and outside. So I don't know. What do you think, Isaiah? I mean, yeah, it, I, I, I've been kind of surprised, and I've been pretty vocal about this on the boards, about how they hadn't tried to put Bredesen out wide while they were you know, trying to find somebody to fill that right tackle position. Uh, don't forget about James Hudson, by the way. He's a guy that they've been looking at as a tackle, I believe. Uh, I, I could be corrected if I'm wrong there, but I believe that he's one of the guys that they're they're trying there. But that's exactly the type, the prototype, of, of, like a really tall, really massive human that isn't necessarily as stout as like an Onwenu that, you know, Obviously, more of the prototype is someone like him, Mason Cole. You go way back to, you know, like when I was in school and it was Jake Long and, uh, yeah, Jake Long on the outside and Adam Krause immediately inside. That does kind of feel more of what they're trying to get back to that, you know, having having guys that have those, you know, that are really tall, you know, really long uh, can fend off those, like you said, those interior or those exterior rushers because you have to imagine – you got a guy like Rashawn Gary coming at you. You want to be able to fend him off as best as you can. Uh, on the interior, he's going to be able to kind of be able to put a move on a more stout, sturdy guy compared to a more athletic but still, you know, behemoth type player. So, uh, like like Zach, I'm not a talent evaluator when it comes to that. Uh, that that's kind of more for like the. Uh, Wilt Fongs and Alan Trues and Barton Simmons of the world, but you know that that does make sense. That that's where it's, why you aren't necessarily seeing some of these guys necessarily move, and that's why it always seems kind of odd in a way that like who they're dealing with and trying to to fit in at tackle, and that's why it's not as much of a surprise to see Runyon's getting more reps in t- in the interior because he kind of fits that mold a bit more. Uh, than some of the others and why it doesn't surprise that they really, you know, had wanted Juwan Bushel Beatty to become a guy there and why he's at least now starting to finally kind of round into that role now that yeah. he's been given a second chance. Cause he is more of what you're looking for there. Uh, not as much of a space eater, uh, but still just basically a giant. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, well, and it's I a balancing act. About it to... Yeah. Because, cause some guys like, like, you know, Cesar Ruiz, I think if things go the way they expect for him, he will be an NFL draft pick. And, you know, it's the coaches, they don't want to hang you out to dry. You know, they don't want to put you in a position where you might not accomplish your goals as easily. 
And so that was kind of the tricky thing with Mason Cole. And I think Mason Cole deserves a lot of credit because I could be wrong, but I think he's a better, he's a more draftable prospect at center and maybe even at guard. But because he was the best overall lineman, he kind of took it upon himself in this last season to play left tackle. And I could be, I could be mixing things up a little bit, but either way, he was either selfless last season or he was selfless this season and so it's a balancing act because you want the best lineman. You want your net value because, remember, just because one guy is better than someone else at one position doesn't mean he's not even better at someone else than someone else at another position. So you want the best value at each position. And sometimes sometimes you do have to factor in, like, you know, this guy can be this at this position. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a balancing act, I guess, to make it all short, is that you can move guys around. Uh, and and there are a few guys on Michigan's team that can't that could play multiple positions. It's just do you do you want to leave that area? Do you want is there is there advantage in strength, agility, technique, opportune compared to their disadvantage in maybe size or length? Mm. So that's that's <laughs> hopefully that answered your question. Anyway, moving on. Uh, speaking of the offensive line, though, uh, this this run game and, and you know one thing about Unwenu and and Bredesen, you know, staying at guard. If we're, we want to have that discussion, they have looked pretty good at guard the last last couple weeks, and they've really helped Michigan's power run game. Uh, that's you know a big key in that is the guards pulling, picking up someone in in the gap on the opposite side of uh, where they started. So. Credit to them, and that brings up, we're going to have a little discussion about the run game. And to kick things off, we got a question from Dizzo, who said, Jake Fromm, five-star quarterback at Georgia, freshman, has two games over 200 yards passing and has six games with 15 or fewer total passing attempts. Why are Georgia fans not complaining that they don't throw the ball enough? Uh, And I think we can both answer that probably with they're undefeated and they they haven't necessarily needed to throw the ball. And that's kind of Michigan's not undefeated, and Michigan is not not too good to throw the ball. But it's something Michigan found something these past couple weeks that could really greatly enhance its opportunity uh, to to close out this season better than maybe people thought a couple weeks ago. And that's that's in this power run game. You know, you look at teams like Wisconsin, Georgia. Uh, I'm, uh, some of the other ones are escaping me. Alabama at times, I think they've switched a little bit away from that. But if you can run the ball five yards a carry, you you almost most coaches that you know will do that because it's safer. It wears out the defense more, so you'll be in better position come third and fourth quarter. And so Isaiah, my question for you, I, you can address what Dizzo had to say a little bit. I know you've you have a good sense of Georgia's offensive line and what they have there. But if you've got, you know, a let's say a quarterback like Peters, who has a lot of talent, a lot of intangibles, but your run game is working. I mean, I guess what point, how far, how much does the run game have to struggle before you decide to balance it out? And also, moving into these next three games, what is the optimal running percentage 
that Michigan or percentage of plays that Michigan should be calling run plays based on based on what you've seen and heard so far? Well, it's the uh, the legendary Ohio State coach Woody Hayes said there's uh, three things that hap- can happen when you pass the ball, and two of them are bad. Uh, so I think that 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 kind of speaks to why there's such a premium put on the run game. It has been kind of perplexing that there has been so many. I think what Dizzo's partially getting at too is the is you know you you're hearing so many people clamoring to see more pa- you know passing and I I've seen that on a lot of our Facebook lives and stuff too where you have people saying like oh you're not going to be able to do this against Ohio State and you're going to need to pass the ball more but if what's if it's working then keep going with it and I think that's the knock on even though even though Michigan was only running for 2.6 yards against Michigan State and they carried the ball 39 times, their second lowest or third lowest uh, attempt at uh, rushing the ball all season, it, you know when Karan Higdon was in there, it was working. And I think that's what you want to see more more of. It, but they started going. Well, you did see more, more yeah. To, so you know they started going more to, towards power and they kept it. You know after that. You know, ran the ball 44, 42, 51, 37, uh, 37 being this Minnesota game when they were running for 10 yards a carry. So they didn't really need more than that. But I'd say as far as the, you know, your question about percentages, as long as it's working, really just keep on hammering it, you know, is the, is the key. You want to be able to, I'd say, it, you know, every three downs, if you can run it twice or even all three times, then do it. And then every now and again, you can, that's why, that's how Harbaugh wants his offense to work as well, by the way, because then you can run play action. Then you can, can take those shots uh, because that's where we've talked about this quite a bit in the last year. If Michigan could have, could have some, had a, could have had some production on the ground in any of those losses that they had last year, primarily Iowa or Ohio state, those games would be over. Michigan would have won those games. If Michigan could have <laughs> mustered up a first yeah, down. Yeah, one first down, yep. Uh, and either of those two games, the Florida State game, not as much, but those other two, if they could have mustered one first down late in the game, the game's over. So mm-hmm. as, as much as they can rely on that, then the better. As far as Georgia's concerned, yeah, they have a great offensive line. Nick Chubbs is a star. They've been able to just lean on him and, you know, Jake Fromm essentially keeps the defense honest. I think that's what you're seeing here with Michigan is what, you know, what they're going to be asking for with Peters essentially is, is like, keep, you know, keep handing the ball off every now and again, we're going to pass. Like I, he, if, if Michigan wasn't getting 10 yards of carry, Peters would have passed the ball more, but there's the same kind of thing that O'Corn against Indiana. I know he was a 50% passer in that game, but they they didn't need him to throw the ball with how good the run game was going. And it's the mm-hmm. same thing against Minnesota. They didn't need Peters to throw the ball. Now, Peters looked better at throwing the ball when he was asked to against Minnesota than O'Corn was against Indiana. But if you're getting, you know, upwards of 200-plus yards, you know, or 300-plus yards in the case of uh, the last two games, then there's really no need to, to be slinging the ball around because that – you know, while it can have some positive results, there's more like the Woody Hayes quote. There's more <laughs> yeah. of a chance that something bad can happen. So, like you said too, it's uh, 
it, it wears down the defense to be able to run the ball as you know effect you know if their offense is doing it effectively throughout the game and that's that's really what Harbaugh wants to do more than anything. So it does seem a little bit perplexing that there are, is so much clamoring to see Peters throw the ball more, and I think some of that comes from last year because last year Michigan seemed to be a more of a pass-oriented offense compared to a run-oriented. And, you know, when it hurt them, yeah. They, yeah, exactly. When it when when it came down to those two games, when the pass game either had stalled out, like in the Ohio State game, where the pass game was working all game until late in the game, or against Iowa, where nothing was working, then you know they had nothing to fall back on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and I know there's like a lot of talk about Jim Harbaugh as a quarterback guru and things like that, but if you look at his track record. All of his teams have been run first. I mean, Andrew Luck was a number one draft pick, and he threw for more than 3,500 yards once. And I think he he only threw for more than 3,000 yards one other time. So it's not like you know, it's when 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 people say QB guru, it's not going to be Mason Rudolph throwing for 400 yards a game or Baker Mayfield throwing for 400 yards or 12 yards per pass attempt. It's it's going to be kind of your old school passing attack. And, and I think, I don't think anyone's saying Michigan's passing game is where it <laughs> should be, but, but I think this is all, he's always going to be run first. He was run first in 2015. He was run first in San Francisco. He's run first at Stanford, you know, last season they, I think they tried to air it out a little bit more and, and, you know, suddenly your quarterback gets injured or it gets hurt and you, you, your receivers make a couple drops at Iowa and you're looking at a season that went awry and didn't go the way people thought it could, should, or would have. Uh, so anyway, by the way, if you're, if you're curious by this discussion, I, I just wrote a, ooh, a 2000 word story kind of about this run game and not necessarily to say that it has been fixed, but they have made a couple changes uh, that I think could portend into more success running the ball in these final three games, including against some some really top-tier run defenses in Wisconsin and Ohio State. But it goes in-depth. We have PFF numbers. We have over 80 comments on the story, which uh, might not sound like a great thing. I know there's a stigma about message board comments, but really some, some good discussion there about what this run game has, where it's going, and what it could and should look like this season and next. Anyway, let's move back, or I guess forward in the in the field a little bit to talk about quarterbacks. Because we got three questions, Isaiah, this week about Peters throwing against Maryland. Uh, you know, Via asks, is the idea of Peters more in-game throwing reps a little overrated? Needing. Uh, he's still facing live competition in practice. Um, C bus Wolverine 2027 20, said, do we use Maryland for getting Peters acclimated better in the past game? Uh, and then lion snob said, do you all think Peter throws the ball 20 times or more on Saturday? So the general question is, and, and I, I, perhaps I'm somewhat to blame here because I mentioned on our last podcast. And I think in a couple stories, Minnesota's pass coverage was actually really good. I mean, it's top 10 in the country as far as holding opponents 
quarterback ratings really down and, and stopping passes thrown their way. And Rutgers was, for its for all of its flaws, it's actually got a pretty good and experienced secondary as well. I believe they were in like the top 40, and while well, their run defense was not even close. So this is kind of the game. Maryland is is I would I would consider them below average both in run and pass defense, uh, and I think we saw Ohio State tried to air things out a little bit against Maryland. Wisconsin aired things out. I think both teams were over 25 passes in those games that were not even close. Those could have been Hornerbrook throws for 15 yards and Jonathan Taylor runs the rest of the way, but they concertedly tried to pass it. And so Isaiah, you you were able to talk to uh, players and coaches this week, and I'm curious, I guess, what do you expect them to throw it a lot? Or, as we said, two things can go wrong when you pass the ball and Peters is still young. Or do you, uh, do you think they're just going to run it down Maryland's throat and keep Peters kind of under under wraps a little bit uh, before he faces Wisconsin and Ohio State? What do you, which, which approach which approach do you think they'll do and which approach should they do? Uh, I think I think that they will do and I think they should do what they've been doing, which is continue to try to run the ball. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get Peters a little bit more involved. But when I say a little bit, I mean, maybe five more passes, maybe get him to 18, 19, maybe 20 on the game just to get make sure he's loose. And that was the one thing that both Harbaugh and Peters had said is, being able to, you know, not go long stretches without being able to to throw the ball. Uh, I think that's what they should do is maybe get him slightly more involved, but really still kind of keep things under wraps because they're, you know, Maryland's a good, it's a good opportunity to try to get him to feel comfortable in going through some reads and being able to drop back and do some things. So you can get more than 56 yards or 125 or whatever he got in that uh, first appearance. But he, you know, doesn't they still don't necessarily need more than that from him if the run game continues to play well. And I don't see any reason why it shouldn't, considering where Maryland is on both ends of the spectrum of the run and pass defense. So you've got bigger tests coming up, and it's kind of the same idea as anything where you don't need to, you know, show your hand. You don't want to show tendencies that Peters has necessarily to those two teams because then they can game plan against it, where if you can kind of keep that close to the vest, then by all means do. The run game that they're doing, that they're running, the, you, know, po- you know, the power run game with counters and isos and mm-hmm. such, that's no mystery. You know, no, that's not like, it's not. Yeah, it, it's 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 not like they're you know they're going to be like all right, well we just have to we just have to stop stop them here because it's it, you know that that that's football as old as time of just lining up and saying we dare you to stop it. So obviously in those game you know those latter two games that's exactly what those two teams are probably going to try to do. I don't expect Maryland to be able to to stop it. So. If they can't, then keep running it and live to to fight uh, in week 12 and 13. Okay. Yeah, I think there's probably pros to both sides. I think I think you might be wasting an opportunity if you don't have Peters throw 20 times in this game. Now, I, I agree. I don't think it should be 30. 
you know, the odds that something goes awry if he's dropping back 30 times. And and also, it's not going to be that amazing weather. I mean, you might as well just keep doing what you're doing as long as you're winning football games. Uh, I, I still think they should probably throw it a little bit more because, it, you know, Wisconsin's got some great pass coverage. And if, the, you know, Brandon Peters, if his first throw is picked off by Dakota Dixon, you know, and he's on the road, suddenly that might look a little different than if he has a couple touchdown passes under his belt. Um, so I, w- I think this is a good opportunity for them to throw it more. I'm kind of with you in the sense I don't think it needs to be, I don't think they need to be a pass first offense on Saturday. But maybe something where they're a little bit of both. Anyway, moving more broadly, we let's let's assume for now Michigan is going to win this game. Maryland just lost to Rutgers. They're two and four in the Big Ten. Uh, you never know, especially on the road. But I think I think this is one that Michigan can feel good about its chances. But beyond just winning the game, and let's say winning by a couple touchdowns, what? and we've had this talk with Minnesota and Rutgers as well. What needs to be done in your eyes for Michigan to come away with this game and have it be a success? Like what, what sort of more specific style of winning style of play, you know, they need a player such and such to step up. Like what sort of things need to be on their checklist in addition to winning this game? Well, Maryland's obviously on their fourth string quarterback, so shutting him down completely is well. It probably might be fifth string. Top of that. Yeah, if Bortenschlager so, isn't ready to go. So yeah, just they're they're going to need to basically just shut down who's under center pretty much entirely. Uh, keep him to to real not even pedestrian numbers, but just terrible numbers. Fifty uh, percent, maybe below. I think that that you know, considering the way the pass defense is played. And everything, if they start, you know, if, if Maryland starts trying to, to do like what we've seen in the last couple of games, uh, which you've still seen a little bit of success when teams are spreading Michigan's defense out wide and, you know, they, they make sure that they get the safeties lined up against some of their, you know, tight ends or, you know, guys that could be an X receiver, maybe not the nominal X receiver for the team. And then they try to go at either Kennel or, or Metellus, you're, you're going to want to try to limit that. Uh, you're going to want to see them improve a little bit. They have improved over the last couple of weeks. We saw Kittle make that big play in the end zone when he was targeted near the end of the game. Uh, but just really to to continue their, their dominance and pass defense is key uh, to, to be able to get continue to get into the offensive backfield is also key. I think that they will. I think this could be – this could be a big game for the the line and the linebackers and everything, considering where uh, Maryland stands as far as uh, their protection issues, especially pass protection, is concerned. Uh, but on the other side of the ball, uh, Peters continuing to keep his uh, his pass rate above sixty percent, I think, and not and not you know have any or limit your turnovers in that light. I think if if Peters throws for sixty plus percent yet again, gets you know maybe a touchdown or at least put them in a position to, to get a touchdown on a short run or something like that. And, uh, you know, and then just get double digit win. I think those are the three things, you know, getting, making sure the pass game still looks competent, uh, that he doesn't, you know, don't put him in a position to confuse him 
get, make sure the defense continues to look like the defense has looked pretty much all year with the exception of that one game and <laughs> get the double-digit win. I think that's that's the best you can hope for in a game like this. Yeah, I think shutting down DJ Moore, uh, it'll be like their fifth straight star receiver that they would have shut down. I guess Deshaun Hamilton got on him a little bit, but as you noted, that's kind of a... I think you can count that as an anomaly, but, you know, Simi Cobbs, uh, Ty Johnson, Janarian Grant, they, you know, Janarian Grant had that one run, but at receiving, he was not that useful. And so if they can contain DJ Moore, that's on my checklist. I actually think Michigan needs to see a receiver have a good game because, you know, you, you had a nice story this week about Zach Gentry and Sean McEwen, but I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing that Michigan has all these potential receiving targets and their top two are unheralded tight ends. Now, now those two are both really good at what they do and they are uh, really exceeding expectations and thriving in Michigan's offense. But the fact that Michigan still hasn't had a, like a 100 yard receiver. I don't even know if they've had an 80 yard receiver since week two. Uh, and the fact that Tariq Black is still third on the team in receiving yards, you know, I think it's something where you need, if Michigan wants to convince Wisconsin and Ohio State that its offense can do multiple things, you know, because maybe maybe Michigan does just want to run power 30 times against both those teams and see what happens. But I think I think you probably want a, a receiver to step up, and it'll also show the way for this entire group. I mean. Outside of Grant Perry, the entire group is extremely young, and so they don't necessarily know the difference between, you know, showing up on game day and sh- and not. I mean, they they know because they've played years of football, but there is some intricacies in the college game that maybe they're still realizing. So I think that's something. Find a receiver that's maybe a good target for Peters to lean on the rest of the way. Uh, I think Peters. I, 60% is a good is a good thing. I was going to say passer rating above 140. You know, throw mm. throw a touchdown or two, avoid turnovers, get over 150 yards and just just call it a day from there. Uh I mean, cuz you know, this is this is it. This is your opportunity. Wisconsin Ohio State are going to be a lot like at at best. They're going to be a lot like last season's intense games where you're not getting any sort of breaks. You're not getting any sort of leeway. It's just like it's a nail-biting game all the way through. That's your best, probably your best-case scenario. I don't think Michigan has the kind of team that's going to blow either of those teams out unless unless we're vastly underrating one of those teams. So this is your chance to figure out how you're going to get that extra inch here and there against Wisconsin Ohio State because you're not going to you're not going to find something you haven't seen against two top 10 defenses. At least, at least I don't think you will. Um, anyway, moving on, we've got Michigan, Maryland, uh, should, again, good, good opportunity for Michigan to pick up its eighth win of the season. Uh, I'm not sure the last time Michigan had three straight eight win seasons. I think you have to go back to Lloyd Carr era. So even though the season hasn't gone the way people wanted, that is an accomplishment to do it three years in a row. And Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I I just thought of that off the top of my head. It's like, well, you know, 2011, 2012, they couldn't do it three years in a row. They were back into the into the muck they were in before uh, once it, they got a young team. To, it, 
It would have had to have been like a relatively early Lloyd car as well because you know, oh the I seven was, and five year yeah yeah so exactly they didn't even do it then and they still had a ton of talent it was again though it was young talent you know you had yeah so, sophomore Chad Henney sophomore Michael Hart you know senior Jason Avant but it was kind of a similar type of season in the sense of mm-hmm. what they had and then they then they rattled off eleven and two eight and four right three and three and nine (laughs) but but i think there is something you know and i know michigan there's a big flack on them that they haven't beaten a winning team yet their best win is either purdue or rutgers although i think florida technically is still a better team they just had a tough situation but i think there is something to be said for not letting the season fall apart and not letting things go haywire uh for 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 whatever that's worth anyway uh, well, absolutely. Let's just add on real quick. I mean, absolutely for the sake of look at what happened with Michigan State last year. And obviously you're seeing what they're doing now. And it's a lot of those same players. I mean, young, younger guys that weren't playing as much, but that just goes to show how quickly something can get out of hand. Michigan's on their third string quarterback and they're expected to get their eighth win. I mean, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. look, at, look at Florida State right now. They lost their starting quarterback, and they have just been terrible. Um, yeah, that's that. I will never understand what happened to Florida State. So this isn't necessarily to to try to persuade people that Michigan is doing what it needs to do. I think, you know, I don't think we're those kinds of reporters. Like we're not gonna sit here and and you know deceive you or anything. Like we'll we'll tell you honestly. They they have disappointed this season. I think the loss to Michigan State is one that will sting especially at the end of the year, um, looking at how good Michigan State ended up being and perhaps how good Michigan ended up or how close Michigan could have been to, to some other things because, you know, one one drive in that game and you're looking at an 8-1 and one top 10 Michigan team, you know, that's that, that has all of its goals in front of it. So anyway, yeah. uh, you know, but but still, to not throw it all away and say, screw it, this season's over, uh, is is an accomplishment. So moving on, via Azul97 provides us lightning round questions every week. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, let's look at his profile. He doesn't really post much else other than the podcast. So we got someone on the board who is podcast first, which we like. So we'll we'll just go back and forth real quick. Uh, Isaiah, 250 and a half rushing yards for Michigan. Uh, over. Okay. Uh, for me, 130 and a half rushing passing yards. For Michigan, I'll take over. Isaiah, one and a half passing touchdowns for Peters. I'm going to go under, but it's mm-hmm. just because I think it's going to be like they'll he'll get one, and then he'll put them in a position to get a get a touchdown, and they'll, they'll rush. But it still blows under. my mind. Yeah, Peters had or Michigan has two passing touchdowns since Purdue, mm. so it's probably safe under. Uh. Will they have an offensive turnover? I'll say yes. Maryland has 10 interceptions, like six fumble recoveries. Um, they're averaging about 1.7 per game against the seventh toughest schedule in the country. So there, if you know, there's some flaws with their defense, but turnovers I think is something they've done a nice job of. Uh, Isaiah, 6.0 yards per carry for Higdon. Uh, I'll go over. He's okay. been. He's been pretty consistent with very few exceptions. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would agree. Three and a half combined snaps for Alex Malzone and Omari Samuels. I'll say over. 
I don't know. That's so tough. It's so tough to tell when when the like the the put in the subs is going to happen with Harbaugh's staff. Um, especially since you know a guy like Peters might want some game reps, and if Kareem Walker and Ty Isaac are playing, you know maybe you want to give them some reps because they took a week off last week. Uh, anyway, moving to the defense, nine and a half tackles for loss for Michigan's defense. Uh, I'm gonna go over, even though I feel like it that might still be a little high. I they they just Maryland's not very good at protecting no. up front. No, it, yeah, it's hard to predict double digits, but I'm with you. I just don't think it's a it's a great one. Three and a half sacks. This is tough because I don't know if Ryan Brand is in fact the quarterback. Ryan Brand, fifth string quarterback for Maryland, uh, former Detroit Jesuit three star recruit, kind of a dual threat guy, five eleven, hundred and eighty pounds, played a season at Air Force. Um, and then played at San Mateo Junior College. So I don't even know if they want him to pass. They might just have him and Ty Johnson and Lorenzo Harrison just take turns running it different directions. Uh, it might be something something different. So in that case, you know, they might tell him, hey, if the pocket collapses, just run. Uh, so I'll I'll say over, but I, I am with the conscious that they might not even have the opportunity for three and a half sacks. It might be kind of like that Air Force game where it's like, I think they had three sacks on 12 pass attempts, which is absurd rate, but it's still only three sacks. Uh, 0.5 fumble recoveries over or under Isaiah. Under Maryland's actually pretty good at protecting the ball. They've given up the, they've copped up the ball three times uh, on nine fumbles all year. Uh, they're 13th in the country. Uh, they're pretty good at protecting at, and not losing the ball as far as fumbles are concerned. So I'll go under. I mean, that's a hard one to predict. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 250 and a half total yards allowed. Uh, I think it's going to be right around there. I, I'll say under. I think I think this is, you know, this is late enough in the season. I don't think Maryland's going to come out overly motivated to try and do you know through the moon motivated maybe maybe they're looking at bowl eligibility as a motivating factor but i i just don't think that they're gonna have more than one or two drives in them uh six and a half tackles for kalik hudson i'm gonna go under he's had two games so far obviously 15 this last game he had seven against uh cincinnati other than that he's he hasn't ever had any more i could i could imagine Maryland trying to key in on him opens up the door for some yeah. other guys. Yeah, I think his successful game at Minnesota, not not to discredit what he did, but a lot of it had to do with they almost it almost seemed like they forgot about him in game planning. Like uh, half mm-hmm. of his tackles for loss, he was just completely untouched tackling the guy from behind because he wasn't even expecting to be in the play. So, uh one and a half de- Oh, by the way, Dayoko also said on uh, what string quarterback Maryland ends the game with, 4.5. Uh, one and a half different QBs for Maryland playing the game. I will say over for both. I think they do go with Brand. I think, and they might, it might not even just be Brand. They may be, they might try a lot of different things at quarterback. Um, and at 180 pounds, you know, if he gets tackled by, you know, your Mo Hurst or your Aubrey Solomons, it's going to hurt. So, Maybe you know, a little bit. Yeah, I mean he's tough enough. Uh, he went to Air Force, so he's there's there's a little bit of toughness to him. But 
I just, it's hard to, I don't think Maryland has had just one quarterback against Michigan, maybe ever um, in this series since they joined the Big Ten. They always seem to go to someone else. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Uh, we got four things for you, Isaiah. We Surprise player, and we, we talked about this before the show, maybe someone you expect to have a breakout game, maybe someone you think, you know, with the various matchups could have a breakout game, something, however you want to interpret it. Uh, bold prediction team-wide, a uh, brief summary of what you think will happen, and then a score prediction. All right. So as far as my surprise player, the way we posited this is not necessarily like unheralded guy completely, but just guy that goes beyond the recent expectations, like Khalid Hudson obviously would have been that, that guy this last week. So I'm going to go with Devin Bush because he's been relatively quiet lately. Uh, he hasn't been really since those first couple weeks of the season. We haven't heard his name called nearly as much. So I think that we're going to see see Devin Bush, like especially because like we just talked about, Kalik Hudson might be keyed in on a little bit more with the protection issues and everything that they have up front. I think Devin Bush can really just kind of wreak some havoc. He hasn't done it in a while. can totally see him having a huge day, maybe a career day against Maryland. Uh Bold prediction uh, as far as overall. Uh, Not going to go as far as saying that Maryland's going to have their lowest offensive output because Ohio State held them to 66 total yards. What? (laughs) I did not know that. Insane. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, I mean, UCF held them to 197. I'm going to say Michigan holds them to their second lowest. I think just they've got so many issues. I think Michigan's pass defense is going to be ready to handle DJ Moore. So I can see that they're going to be somewhere between 66 and 197 overall uh, yardage wise. And then score prediction. That's the yep, yep. Or score prediction, Michigan 35, Maryland 10. Dang uh, it. I don't, All right. Same thing you had. <laughs> I, I think I had 30. Oh, well, I'll tell you mine in a bit. It's actually a little different, but. Go ahead. Was there anything else I needed to predict? I can't remember. Um, brief summary of what you think will happen. Doesn't have to be long. Uh, Michigan runs the ball a lot. Again, Michigan's defense doesn't allow Maryland to do much of anything. It's kind of the same same story of what we saw last week, except for uh, with a little bit more success, because I don't think Maryland's as good as Minnesota on either side of the ball due mm-hmm. to all of the issues they've had over the course of the year, which is disappointing because I had them as my uh, breakout team. Yeah. And it looked early, like that was. <laughs> you a looked wide good, choice. and then you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. let's see. Surprise player. I was gonna say Ty Isaac. Then I remembered that he had that weird fumble penalty game uh, against Maryland a couple years ago. So. Uh, I'll stick on defense. I'm going to say I think this is a Chase Winovich game. And it, it may not – I know he's probably not in the category where you would call it a surprise, but I think he is the – every game it seems like there's a defensive player. Um, uh, you know, there's a different player that really just asserts themselves as, like, this dominant player. We saw Winovich had, what, three, three-and-a-half sacks against Purdue. So I think this is one of those games for him. I think Mich- – Maryland, when they do run the ball between the tackles, it's often to the right side. They definitely favor the right side of the line over the left, and I think this will be a chance for Winovich to pick up a lot of tackles and 
probably a few tackles for loss. He he might he might vault ahead of Khalid Hudson in in the Big Ten lead for tackles for loss. Uh, bold prediction. I will say, well, this will be very bold because I don't actually know if Michigan's even going to bother giving him the ball enough for this. But Brandon Peters has the best passing game of the season for a Michigan quarterback. Wow. And yeah, well, the only thing, the only one he has to beat is O'Corn's performance at Purdue. And if Mm. you look at like the rating, it wasn't, I mean, 270 yards is good, but I think, I mean, I think if he completes like 75% of his passes for 200 yards and two scores, I think that's a better performance than what O'Corn did in Purdue. Mm. Um, I I might change the bold prediction for our actual written story, by the way. That was just off the top of my head. Brief summary <laughs> of what I think will happen. I think Michigan Michigan's going to get pretty much whatever it wants on defense. I think they'll probably turn the ball over a time or two. Um, probably, I just have a gut feeling that it'll come early, that it'll be kind of a ball game early, and then that third quarter is just going to be similar to Minnesota's, the third quarter against Minnesota, where it's just like, Oh, the game's over now, you know, and it mm-hmm. was. And so I think it's going to be one of those. Uh, my final score prediction, Michigan 34, Maryland 13. I think I just I think Maryland's going to get a couple of big plays here and there. I, I think Ty Johnson's probably too, too, too dynamic. Lorenzo Harrison, pretty good. DJ Moore. And I'm sure they'll have something up their sleeve to try to come away with an upset. Anyway, that's what we think is going to happen. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this entire podcast. I talked about a lot of football topics. Uh, if you want to read more, though, check out the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan.247sports.com. It's all one site. We've got stories coming out. I mean, now with th- this staff size, it's like every few minutes, it seems. There's some new nugget of information, new insight analysis thoughts you know vip note some scoops uh so check it all out it's it's a must read can't can't say that enough but anyway this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast for isaiah hole i'm zach shaw hope you enjoyed the podcast hope you learned something and we'll see you next time